Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, February 10th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The number of cruise passengers infected by the coronavirus surges as China reports over 900 people are now dead from the outbreak. In Washington, fallout continues after President Trump fires several key White House staffers following his acquittal in the Senate and the nation's first primary less than 24 hours away. Will Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders continue the momentum picked up in Iowa? We'll have a look. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the very latest on the coronavirus. The death toll has risen to at least 910, the vast majority of those dying in mainland China. On Friday alone, 86 Chinese citizens succumbing in a single day, and then on Sunday, another 97 people dying from this respiratory illness. Globally, though, the virus has infected more than 40,000 people. And here is the very latest we know at this time. Over the weekend, the situation inside the Diamond Princess cruise ship off the coast of Japan worsening. The number of people diagnosed with coronavirus jumping to 136, including at least 21 Americans. Rebecca Frazier from Oregon is one of them. Just you never think that something like this is going to happen when you're just on vacation living life. She is in isolation in a hospital presenting no symptoms. It doesn't even feel like a cold, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't have known that there was anything wrong with me um, if they hadn't tested me. But for many others, the virus has been deadly. Many passengers on the ship are concerned about the ventilation system, fearing the virus may spread through the vents. We aren't sick and we want to keep it that way. So we want to keep our, um, our interaction with other people as limited as possible and also I really don't want to roam the holes because I don't even know how clean the ship is. So we are quarantined in our room. We're not in a, a um, how do I put it, a perfectly sealed bubble to keep us from what could or could not happen, you know? This says in China, a massive disinfection effort is underway in cities in Hubei province, including Wuhan. The cleaning operations started on Sunday and are being carried out twice a day. Special vehicles spraying over 100 tons of disinfectants on hospitals, markets, neighborhoods, and public bathrooms. In Beijing, some patients believed to be in the clear are being discharged from the hospital and placed in mandatory quarantine as an extra precaution to avoid spreading the virus. One of those patients diagnosed at 33 weeks pregnant. Although her baby seems to be okay, it's still unclear what effects, if any, the virus could have on the child. My husband was anxious because I was about to give birth, so he took me to the hospital immediately, and my body temperature was already 38 degrees Celsius when I was examined. Meanwhile, the mother of Dr. Lee Wenli and mourns the death of her son, who died last week after getting infected. He was one of many doctors who early on tried to warn authorities and the public about the deadly virus before police silenced him, his death causing outrage from the public. We weren't allowed to get into the vehicle that carried the body of my son. We were told we might get infected. We went to the emergency room and they didn't allow us to look inside. In the funeral, we didn't even take one less look at my son. The mother of Dr. Wenlian says she wants an explanation from authorities and promised her son that all the money people donated to help him will now go to help other victims of the coronavirus. Back to you, Andrea.
Thanks so much, Lorraine, for that information. And staying on this topic, Australian researchers, meanwhile, say they have found a breakthrough to contain the coronavirus. Experts at the New South Wales Health Pathology Lab say they were able to grow live coronavirus cells, providing more diagnostic accuracy than synthetic cells. Their work will be able to help diagnose infected patients faster and more accurately in the hopes of helping to curb the spread of the disease. And now we head over to Washington. White House aides are bracing for a post-impeachment staff shakeup as President Trump looks to enter a new chapter of his presidency. So far, two officials have been dismissed. The president's impeachment trial may be over, but now the president reportedly wants a staff shakeup at the White House. Gordon Sunland, the ambassador to the European Union, was the latest to be shown the door after testifying against Trump during the impeachment hearings. Everyone was in the loop. It was no secret. Also removed from his post was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a top Ukraine expert who was escorted from the White House hours before Sondland. Vindman testified about Trump's July phone call with the Ukrainian president, in which Trump brought up investigating Joe Biden. I was concerned by the call. What I heard was inappropriate. Well, I'm not happy with him. You think I'm supposed to be happy with him? I'm not. President Trump calling Vindman very insubordinate by incorrectly reporting the contents of a perfect phone call. Meanwhile, Vindman's lawyer released a statement saying it's obvious why his client was fired, writing, there is no question in the mind of any American why this man's job is over, why this country now has one less soldier serving it at the White House. Democrats objecting to Trump's latest moves. What they're saying is they're going to be payback to us for upholding the Constitution of the United States. The president also going after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, claiming she could somehow be prosecuted for ripping up his speech at the State of the Union. I thought it was a terrible thing when she ripped up the speech. First of all, it's an official document. You're not allowed. It's illegal what she did. She broke the law. Of the 12 witnesses who testified publicly in the impeachment hearings, only four are currently still in their jobs. The others have either left or been reassigned. And President Donald Trump couldn't get Ukraine to investigate Joe and Hunter Biden, but the Department of Justice might review information from Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. And that's according to Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation, he says he talked to Attorney General William Barr on Sunday. Has the Department of Justice been ordered to investigate the Bidens? No, the Department of Justice is receiving information coming out of the Ukraine from Rudy. Already? To, to see, he told me that they've created a process that Rudy could give information and they would see if it's verified. Rudy Giuliani is a well-known man. He's a crime fighter. He's loyal to the president. Trump's attempts to pressure Ukraine to investigate the Bidens were at the center of his impeachment investigation, which ended with the president's acquittal just last week. Now, there's no evidence to show the Bidens have done anything wrong. And more major news out of Washington today. The president is unveiling his budget for the 2021 fiscal year. The $4.8 trillion budget would increase military spending by 0.3 percent. It would also cut non-defense spending 5%. The plan promises a $3 billion increase for NASA in hopes of returning astronauts to the moon and Mars.
The proposal reportedly will not get rid of the federal deficit within the next decade. The newspaper says White House officials claim the deficit should be closed by 2035. The U.S. budget rose past the one trillion mark last year, the first time since the year 2012 that the U.S. has climbed that high in a calendar year. And some sad news today being announced by the Pentagon. Two U.S. soldiers have been killed in an attack in Afghanistan over the weekend. Sergeant First Antonio Rodriguez of Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Sergeant First Class Javier Gutierrez of San Antonio, Texas, were both part of U.S. Special Forces based at England Air Force Base in Florida. Military officials say the attack is now under investigation. And we're also learning today that the United States is charging four Chinese military members with one of the largest hacks in history, targeting customer data. The four are accused of breaking into the computer network of Equifax Credit Reporting Agency and stealing the personal information of tens of millions of Americans. That 2017 breach impacting more than 145 million people. Last year, Equifax reached a $700 million settlement over the data breach. And with the nation's first presidential primary set for the Granite State tomorrow, the focus shifts to New England. Fabiola Galindo is in Manchester, New Hampshire, with the latest on this. Fabiola, what is the mood there right now? That's right, Andrea. Well, it's less than 24 hours till the first uh, voting site opens, but just tonight at midnight, the town that votes first here in New Hampshire is Dixieville Notch. is one of the first locations that starts voting here in New Hampshire that, as you know, has, has gotten so much more attention after the chaos left in Iowa with no results. Just today, those results officially were released. Now, we know that New Hampshire is a good measure for how candidates perform in suburban areas. Now, so far, the latest poll is showing that uh, Senator Bernie Sanders has uh, the lead with 29% of likely voters followed by, uh, by former Major Pete Buttigieg with 22% of likely voters and well, well far it's Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden with 11% of likely voters followed by Elizabeth Warren. Now, of course, uh, the attacks among Democrats have increased this weekend. They came here right after Iowa, the Iowa caucuses, and many of them have been attacking uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg for what they say is his lack of experience. He's only been major of a small city in Indiana. And so many of the candidates here among the Democratic side have been attacking him for this, uh, what they call lack of experience. This is what he had to say about that. I respect Senator Sanders, but when I hear this message go out that you're either for a revolution or you gotta be for the status quo, that's a vision of the country that doesn't have room for most of us because we know what has to change. Now, the primaries here are a much simpler process than the caucuses. It's a simple vote, a secret vote. But what's really important here in New Hampshire is that more than 40% of the voters are declared independent. That means that they can participate in the election, but not necessarily mean that they are going to vote Democratic or not. Now, the campaign by Senator Bernie Sanders has a lot of pressure since they did have a 60% win in 2016. They are hoping they can repeat that. Back to you, Andrea. Fabiola, just a quick question for you. I understand President Trump is arriving later today for a rally in New Hampshire as well. 
Can you give us a preview as to what people can expect to see? Yes, Andrea, not far from where we are, just a few blocks from here, uh, it's expected that President Trump will be holding a rally, taking a little bit of the attention from the Democrats that are also in town to obviously mobilize the vote. Uh, we know that many of the, the, the supporters of President Trump have been waiting outside in cold temperatures under the rain and the snow to be able to secure a spot in this rally and as i said it is very unusual uh, that the president will be trying to take away attention because on the republican side he is expected to win uh with at least one candidate uh against him now i'll send it back to you again andrea thank you fabiola for that report reporting from new hampshire as we can see it's going to be a very heated race it'll be interesting to watch A setback for the Trump administration's immigration agenda after a ruling from a judge in California that will prohibit U.S. immigration authorities from asking local police departments to hold detainees based on data from a flawed database. And as Jaime Garcia reports, that decision could transform how ICE targets people for detention and also deportation. Striking a blow to the ICE deportation program, a federal judge in Los Angeles ordered to stop the majority of deportation orders that ICE agents execute daily. It's very significant because this is the, the linchpin, this is the key to how the Trump administration is deporting so many thousands of people every year. The judge injunction was issued after proving that the database used to issue the majority of the arrest warrants is incomplete and full of errors. It's not accurate. In fact, it's missing records for millions of people. This has resulted in arrest that include American citizens like Gerardo Gonzalez, who filed a lawsuit against the ICE agents. Well, he was a U.S.-born citizen. He was born here in Los Angeles, and yet ICE issued a detainer on him because it didn't have accurate information in its databases. The judge also invalidated detention holds that ICE requests to the police and sheriff departments. No one in this country can be arrested, detained, or incarcerated um, without probable cause. That's exactly what this decision is about. In a written statement, a White House spokesperson indicated that the decision of the federal judge is a legally groundless and sweeping injunction that if not immediately lifted, will guarantee the release of innumerable criminal illegal aliens into our communities, putting citizens at dire risk. Not true. What this decision does, it makes sure that every person is treated equally under the law. After the decision that was rendered by the judge, it's very probable still that the government of President Trump will appeal the decision. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, Univision. Family members of six American oil executives detained in Venezuela are worried after the six were rounded up by police. The executives of Houston-based Sitco, who were under house arrest, were abruptly taken from their homes by Venezuela's intelligence police on Wednesday, hours after President Trump's meeting with Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido at the White House. The executives were first arrested by mass security agents during a meeting in Caracas back in November of 2017. They have been accused of crimes including money laundering, conspiracy and embezzlement. 
Supporters of El Salvador's president, Nayib Bukele, protested outside parliament after lawmakers refused to gather to vote on a $109 million loan to better equip the country's security forces. Meanwhile, heavily armed security forces surrounded both inside and outside the building as tensions continued to rise between the leader and the opposition-controlled legislature. Bukele asked his supporters for their patience. He also set a deadline for of a one week for lawmakers to approve the bill. And off the coast of Mexico, conservationists trying to protect an endangered purpose came under gunfire on Sunday rather on Saturday. It happened in the waters in the upper Gulf of California. Four boats approached the conservationists and began chasing their vessel. The captain used water cannons and other anti-piracy techniques to prevent them from boarding. No one was hurt in this attack. The conservationists have been working with Mexican authorities for six years, removing illegal poaching nests that threaten the purposes. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Last night, the stars gathered at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles to celebrate the biggest night in Hollywood. Let's go to film critic and journalist Monica Castillo to talk about the night's big surprises. Monica, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So this is the second year in a row of a hostless Oscars. Your thoughts on the show overall? We did see Steve Martin and Chris Rock during the opening part of the, of the show. I thought that was a very nice nod to what they had done when they were hosts. Um, the hope with getting rid of a host was that it would be shorter. But as we saw last night, uh, none of us made it to bed anytime sooner. So it's kind of uh, still a bit up in the air. Um, it's a, it was kind of a mixed reception. Some people don't miss the host. Other people do miss the host. It kind of depends on what you're looking for in an award show. You kind of, if you're kind of traditional, you kind of want to see those hosts, right? So for the first yeah. time in Academy history, a non-English language film won in the best picture category, that film being South Korea's Parasite. What does that mean moving forward for directors from other countries like Latin America? I think a lot of people are waking up to today uh, really optimistic about the opportunities because they broke through a 92-year-old tradition that it was all English language, and they're a huge celebration for it. So uh, Bong Joon-ho won for Parasite, uh, won Best International Feature Film, won Best Director. Uh, it was a really big night. It was something that you know a lot of us had hoped for for Roma last year and Parasite actually finally did it. No Latinos were nominated in the top categories. JLo was snubbed for her role in the movie Hustlers, but several Latinos presented categories like, for example, Salma Hayek and Oscar Isaac. There was a special moment there. Tell our viewers what happened. 
Yes, I think uh, just a bit of a great uh, moment of fan casting of uh, putting these two really wonderful performers together. And of course, they had a little fun, a little banter together. Uh, a lot of the presenters did a really great job last night. There were only a few moments that had people's, uh, you know, attention kind of questioning what was going on. But no, the, everyone was paying attention when Oscar and Salma were on stage. And a lot of people were really happy to see them together. Antonio Banderas was nominated for his role in Pain and Glory. Now, he didn't win, but leading to the awards, there was actually some controversy that we heard about over Banderas being described as a person of color. What exactly happened there? Yeah, it's another one of those cases where, uh, you know, people are mixing up Hispanic with Latino and they're two different definitions. And when you lump all of them together, uh, this is where that, that controversy kind of came out of uh, he getting mislabeled as a Latino, even though he's from Spain, just because we share the same language, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have the same background, same culture, uh, you know, the geo graphic and cultural uh, similarities. But that was a that was a not so bad of an issue heading actually into the awards. I've seen like it was kind of happening before the actual awards happened. And I did want to shout out um, Jonas Rivera of the Toy Story 4 production team is actually the first U.S. born Latino to win two Oscars. Uh, he previously won for another Pixar production, but he made history last night. And I know we don't always pay attention to the producers, but I did want to give him a shout out and congratulations. When we extend those congratulations as well. Thank you so much, movie critic Monica Castillo. It's great to see the Latino presence just growing and growing more nationwide. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.